Welcome to the Open Observability Talks podcast. This is the second episode. Uh, today we are going to be having a nice, pleasant discussion over the open telemetry, uh, well, specification and the community all around it. This includes some lovely talking points from two wonderful people who are actively involved in the community. We are going to have Paul Bruce from Neotice and Jonah Cole from Logs.io giving their perspectives and conversation on this. So um, let's get started. Let's bring both Jonah and Paul into the conversation. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Hey, Mark. Good. Thank you. And I just realized my mic was off for most of that. Uh, no, we heard it all. Oh, wonderful. OK, then. Um, Right, so here we are. This is uh, a nice, lovely discussion. Uh, everybody ready for it? Ready, ready as we'll ever be. Yeah. <laughs> ready as we'll ever be, oh Lord. That's either the greatest statement or the damning statement, I'm not quite sure. Um, so, you guys are both active in and around Open Telemetry and its community. Uh, do you want to introduce yourselves and say why you care? Uh, would you like to start, Paul? Sure, sure. So, uh, like you said, my name is Paul. Um, last name is Bruce. Um, it doesn't matter which one you call me, so long as you don't follow it up with an expletive. Uh, <laughs> now, the um, so uh, I have been involved in various different performance and reliability engineering uh, workspaces for quite a while now. Um, I just recently got involved in Open Telemetry as of like early last year. Um, just a quick note: I do not represent any of the CNCF. Uh, in fact, most contributors would say the same thing. Uh, we're just speaking from an individual perspective. Um, as an individual, I care deeply about getting the right information in the right place at the right time. And so when I see something happening really amazing in an open uh, space, um, uh, that really excites me, right? Especially when it starts to become more of a standard. Um, and so, you know, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, I ran a conference on this and got a bunch of some of the contributors from the CNCF, uh, the, the the folks the, on the open telemetry space to be part of that. It's a really hot topic for the last year and this year. Um, arguably, it should be for all times. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. I'm just an individual uh, in independent uh, observer as well as independent uh, contributor sometimes. Um, and I occasionally shadow the uh, the SIG calls uh, for open telemetry. Okay. How about yourself, Jonah? Do you want to give sure. us a quick drop in on me? Yeah, definitely. So Jonah Cowell's uh, recent CTO at Logs.io. Um, I do various things at the company, but uh, relevant to this conversation is uh, community and open source. And uh, I'm definitely a strong proponent of the standards work. Um, in my prior life, I spent a lot of time as an analyst at Gartner and also worked uh, for several years at AppDynamics, during which time we were pretty involved in the um, trace context specification, which standardizes propag propagation of data within protocols. So this is something that's uh, that's definitely carried forward into uh, open census and now into open telemetry. And similar to Paul, I shadow and participate in a few of the different communities, the SIG, 
uh, group, but also the log group because uh, it's one that kind of has needed quite a bit of additional work recently. Um, and I'm also participating in some of the sampling work that's going on around how we deal with different types of trace sampling uh, just because of my background. Um, so yeah, there you go. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you both for joining on this and uh, allowing me to start something that uh, I'm hoping to learn a lot from, to be brutally honest. So um, how about uh, we start with why observability and why now? Um, where do you think this is coming from, considering it's been quite a few years in the making with uh, open census and open tracing? Why is it all coming together in this one super site, well, superset of everything that's come before? Who do you want to start with that one? Oh, who feels brave enough to start? I can do that. Uh, my oh. bravery switch was turned off a long time ago when I was a kid and I was pulling apart IBM XTs. Um, so I, I think um, why, uh, so why observability? Um, because like, you know, the charity majors of, um, of Honeycomb has a really great way of saying it. it it's, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase. It's never not a good idea uh, to have your glasses on when you drive, right? The, the, the better you can see what's going on, um, that is at least a basis for making better informed decisions. Um, I had a number of people at the event, Observe 2020 in April, um, who also echoed the same thing, but in more specific terms. Um, there was one presentation, and I can link to it, I can send you the links, Mike, um, but there was one presentation about a business context around COVID of why observability matters. In essence, you know, maybe you're making a bunch of shipments and your backend systems are, are doing ETLs or doing like API calls. And how do you, how do you prioritize, right? Um, there are priority shipments that have to go out to, to medical facilities for particular resources. And at the moment where you want to ratchet up or understand the routing or pay more attention to how those things are being prioritized all the way through your business, right at the very bottom level technically in the IT organization how it flows through controls um, but all the way up at the business case how do you how do you know that stuff if your systems aren't able to emit at least a reasonable cardinality level of data about you know metadata about what customer it's for what segment it's for what geo region those kind of things right Th that's the kind of metadata on transactions that has to be able to be viewed, but also potentially inform better decisions in real time. And what we have today right now is a smattering of different ways to do that. And what I believe the why, why now for the, um, for open telemetry is, you know, there's the, the, the concept of where a, where a good idea comes from and how it becomes uh, a more standard approach. Um, and we can talk about a little examples from the past, like Swagger and OpenAPI, as, as almost like a, a baseline in, from my history of how it takes time. It takes time for these things to coordinate and come together. And everybody on the, on the planet realize who cares about this stuff, that, that you know we need to move in the same direction, right? Without it being locked to a specific vendor or a specific single 
standards working group, right? So why now is because we've needed it for a long time and it's taken time to really understand how to, how to do this in a vendor agnostic, uh, truly open and collaborative way. So I'll give you my perspective. I completely agree with everything that Paul said, but when you think about how we used to measure business, rewind 10 years ago, yes, we were doing some digital things, but in general, we would have a lot of these legacy systems and we built BI platforms and analytics platforms to try to take the business data and present it to folks that need to make decisions. So think about like daily reporting and understanding how your business is doing and what's going on with your uh, various supplies or resources in the organization. And this was very slow and reactive because you would get the report after things already happened for, for better or for worse. So as we became more digital, we actually had to merge business data and technical data together so that we could make real-time decisions. And so a lot of observability is really bringing together these two worlds that once were very separate. There was the geeky technical people on one side and the business people on the other. And now we realize that the same data stream needs to be consumed by both sides. And so that's really caused the shift in thinking is really based on the business change. Um, on the second point of why now, if you rewind 10 years ago and you look at APM or you look at monitoring, everyone had a proprietary agent and technology. And a lot of the differentiation was in the data collection layer because we were limited by relational databases and other things that just couldn't deal with high volumes of data. And our applications were more monolithic and generating less data as well. Uh, today, we see highly advanced analytics platforms built on, on the cloud that allow for much greater scale and capabilities. This is reflected in the application and also needs to be reflected in the observability platform. Uh, so the, the movement has been away from the data collection into the analytics. That's where the differentiation is. I know we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the open sourcing of data collection and agents, but I see open telemetry as a big step forward where all of these different vendors, and frankly, not enough users in my opinion, are dictating how we build this standard consumption layer for various types of data. So it's my take on both of those topics. Okay. I, you know what, I've not heard either of those points before. So um, that's something new for me at least. I always just assumed it we'd reached the, that wonderful technology point where certain amount of technology, hardware, and software has been thrown together, and people have just realized that uh, there's a better way of doing it. <laughs> Which is probably not the best yeah. way. I mean, usually there's a business driver for people making a decision, but not always. Sometimes people just want to play with something new and shiny. Um, there's definitely some of that happening here. Like, applying microservices to every problem when that's not necessary, a uh, common pattern. Uh, I'm, I'm a victim of that, not gonna lie. 
Okay. We all want we all want to play with new stuff for sure. Okay, you were pointing out the fact that there is a lot of vendors involved in uh, open telemetry currently, and none of um, active practitioners. What what about the community is special? What's driving the specification and uh, the creation of the standardized libraries um, at the moment? Uh, what what do you guys think is the big driver? Because I've managed to drop into a few of the SIG calls over the last two weeks, and people uh, love to get down in the weeds. I'll let Paul start with that one, because... <laughs> Sure. So uh, at least what I see from a community perspective, um, when I look at an open source project, I don't just go to, let's say, GitHub and look at how many contributors there are or how the frequency is. Those are those are useful indicators for sure. Right. If you have a repo that's only managed by a few people. Right. And it's like once every three months, things are updated. You know, you have to think seriously about, you know, if I'm doing this at large scale in an enterprise and I want to actually start implementing this in all my microservices and all my backend systems and all my front end applications and stuff, you know, um, where's the support model? And, and, you know, this goes into the notion of what is a support model look like from proprietary software versus open source software? And what is the supply chain and the acquisition and the supply process look like at large scale? So at least from an open source health perspective, I see a lot of really good signs with this specifically with this project in CNCF, obviously, you know, large organization, they have their high level um, goals and guidelines and stuff like that. And they encourage practices, but they also want to enable various different working groups um, to, to be uh, to, to run within guardrails, but also to be autonomous enough to, to have local um, positive efficiencies. Right. And so some of the things I see from just my work and my, my conversations, and my interactions and relationships that I've started to build with some of the core contributors to open telemetry and also historically from open census and open tracing um, is that number one, the number of contributors consolidating those two projects to a single group increases the total pool of contributors, um, which is never necessarily a bad thing for open source, especially the second part, which is these people really understand what it's like to work with global teams that. Um, you know, need coordination, but also need to be able to work when they can work, right? The, arguably, there's everything is volunteer that goes into this. On the other hand, I know that there are vendors that understand and comprehend, synthesize, and 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 get full-time people to work on this, you know, because it's a good idea and also because they have vested interest. But on the other hand, like, there's a really good sign that, you know, even just the Twitter handle, right, for open telemetry, um, the sharing that I was talking with some folks from various vendors, the sharing around that Twitter handle essentially says, hey, look, you know, be it, don't be that guy. Be a good citizen. If there's meaningful stuff to share out, share it out. But don't use it as a sales or marketing tactic. And so far, that hasn't been the case. And that's a really good sign, right? Not, not just the technical people care and, and know how to treat. I mean, like people who work with open source, they have a certain ethos and understand some general principles around how to be a good citizen there. But even in terms of extending the value of doing work and being part of this thing from a, a business perspective, it's often, often very hard to get a vendor not to treat something like a sales prop or like a marketing prop 
and, and to try to not squeeze the crap out of some open source thing that maybe they help contribute with as if it's, as if it's to try to drive uh, leads. Right. So I have not seen any, uh, any, you know, noteworthy signs that bad behavior is going on in this community, which itself is a really great sign because you can't say that for all open source things, right? Won't name vendors in other spaces, but things like, you know, Appium, great idea. Selenium, great idea, right? Uh, Swagger, great idea. Um, unfortunately, those kind of things are oftentimes owned by a particular vendor or the branding or the responsibility around that is owned. And so it has to be put into a foundation like the Apache Foundation, right? We have to move this away from a single person being the risk factor, just like a single contributor on a Git repo makes you think twice about introducing that, right? That's one of those signs um, that we're all operating on the same on the same level playing field, right? And the second thing I would say is the, the amount of transparency, it's not just that they're committing to open repos on Git, they've opened their calendar for SIGs, right? That is a really powerful thing. And, you know, in my engagement with those um, meetings, you know, I, I, I don't want to be vocal right off the bat. I want to listen in and learn how to be a good citizen on things that I'm ramping up into. Um, but the, the overwhelming encouragement from the leads on each of those SIGs, just to, hey, you know, you're welcome to be part of this, is, is really great, right? And they also have specific guidelines on contribution and stuff like that. So these are the types of health metrics. I would uh, finalize this out um, by agreeing with Jonah about there's not enough users. Um, I think there's enough contributors right now to do what they've got to do. Obviously, work always is more than what you have available, but I think they're getting that done. They're really trying to drive to the end of this year um, for a GA, I think. Um, and uh, in terms of organizations, right, consumers of this thing, just pure consumers, not even contributors, I think we have not yet, and we should, drive to a critical mass of pure consumers of this really great idea. And that's my particular focus, right, is to help the broader, the broader global, global. Um, global community understand this is not only a good idea, right, this, this is actually a better way forward than any kind of situation that you might be doing on a proprietary level. Yeah, and that, I, I'll, I'll agree with some of that, but I also have a little bit of a counterpoint about the software foundations. Uh, when you look at what a software foundation is supposed to do, first and foremost is making sure that a, an ecosystem is healthy, that it's not being dominated and that you have a mix of users and vendors and that it's not too biased. I think Apache is clearly built from the ground up to do this. That is their main goal and priority as an organization. CNCF, their main goal and priority in an organ as an organization is marketing. And although they do provide some guidance and oversight into the projects, far too much of what happens is straight marketing, which is why as a vendor, everyone is gonna be involved in CNCF because it's basically a marketing tool that we all use. And every company that I've worked for is guilty of that. It's nothing wrong with it, but we have to acknowledge that one is designed to foster an open source project from a technical perspective, and the other provides very little of that, but a lot from a marketing perspective. 
Um, but users pay attention to this. I mean, look at the growth of, um, of KubeCon. That's an example. I mean, they're literally doubling this, this huge conference, which is basically a big marketing you know, event. And everyone goes to it. I think it was expected, although it's uh, changed virtual this year, of course, but the numbers were staggering in terms of attendance of these events. And one can say, oh, it's because of Kubernetes, and maybe it is, but at the same time, this is a marketing event. Um, the second piece around open tracing and open telemetry is, I will say that uh, although open tracing was primarily dominated by a couple of vendors, uh, open telemetry is much more, you know, there's many more contributors and people involved in it. Right. Uh, but it's generally designed for a vendor because there's no end product. So uh, we participate in the Jaeger community and Jaeger is a usable product where lots of users want to use it. And open telemetry is part of the way that Jaeger is going to work in the future. So they're linked together. But open telemetry for a user is not useful because there's no way to use it unless you hook it up to another tool. So it becomes a bit tricky where we want users involved in open telemetry, but at the same time, they can't use it without something else to connect it to. So it's a bit like a chicken and egg. Yeah, so I mean, you know, when it comes to actual users, uh, I know that plenty of people have had uh, success when it comes to even just the, the demo, the sample demo stuff, and that hooks up to other open stuff. I think yeah. you're right about, you know, th this is, um, let me step back for a second. The open telemetry is built to be essentially a protocol specification of how to ship information from a system to another system, right, to, to, and consolidate that stuff. Um, there's, I'm over, dramatically oversimplifying, but the thing about, the thing about that is, is that um, from an end user perspective, what is the problem? That, that people are trying to solve? Is it about, you know, gathering metrics? Is it about data warehousing? Is it about trying to provide business insight on top of information and top of metrics? I think at, at the end of the day, we've got a couple of different audiences. And if we just quickly focus on the first audience, which is the people who are writing these systems, right, aren't yet set up. Um, a, a dev, unfortunately, can't be an expert at all the things. Right, they can't be a performance expert or a security expert, a reliability expert. And though there needs to be expertise in place on each of these fronts for sure, that's supported by typically organizational guidelines, checkpoints, these kind of things for like security, right? So I'm just gonna pack security away and say it's important. It has to be in the code, secure code guidelines are important. But in terms of what does that mean for like emitting the proper information from your, let's say you're, you wanna write a Node.js service um, or you want to write some kind of scalable Java um, microservice, if you're, if, if you're writing those things, there are important pieces of information, not just to you, but to other people downstream and upstream that you need to pay attention to. Um, and the value prop to a dev, at least one of the major ones in my mind, is you got to figure out what the meaningful information that you want to emit is. But when it comes to actually code changes, if let's say you're using a vendor specific um, you know, API and you're having to layer those client libraries in, same as you would with OpenTelemetry, right? If you, if you do that on a vendor proprietary, 
Now, if you ever want to do something different, or if you want to do something and replace that, or maybe replace that vendor, you have to go back to your code base. Now, every time you go back to your code base, even if it's like you know some kind of uh, you know dependency injection or something like that, or something that sh quote shouldn't make an, a significant difference in the code, you still have the question: I made changes to the code. It has to go through a process to get to reliable and secure in a production environment. And so my, my thought is really from a dev perspective, I, I don't wanna have to revisit a line of code just because we wanna see it from a different vendor, uh, from a different dashboard, right? But, we, we want but, to not have to touch code that doesn't fundamentally have to change what it's doing unless it's significantly changing what is measured, right? So the one thing to keep in mind is that most of the market, when you look at instrumentation of code, and I'll say APM, which has been around for a while, yep, it's most of them use auto-instrumentation technologies, yep. which are starting to evolve more in open source, but have been largely left behind. Um, yep. And there are challenges with these. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they enable you to get visibility into the software to some extent without changing changing it. So there's advantages there and there are places where it belongs, yep. uh, but extracting business context is extremely difficult with auto-instrumentation. Yeah, uh, it is possible, but it is difficult. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I'm thinking, um, for instance, a classic thing is like, you've got a service that internally has a retry count or a queue length, or something that really matters to that service, right? Um, maybe about a downstream underneath it, and that's an important health metric to emit from the service, right? So if you don't have that and you just have auto instrumentation, you're looking at low to medium cardinality data, right? You know, CPU, NetRAM, disk type stuff, and it really doesn't help you answer the question, why is the thing causing the trouble that it's causing? APM and auto instrumentation might also give you a statistically significant, like, you know, how much is this piece of the chain causing a bottleneck, but it doesn't really answer the question why. And again, I think I subscribe to the I mean, whole modern view of, of, you know, RCA is not a thing as much as understanding the contributing factors. So that's what I'm saying is from a dev perspective, um, a value, a significant value prop is we can put medium to high cardinality context into our code uh, and that be somewhat decoupled from the way that's deployed in production in a way that we can do that, uh, that we can transition in a better way. Uh, and secondly, it doesn't have to be by default vendor proprietary. Does that make but, sense, Jonah? Yeah, it does. When you're doing a trace and you see that there's additional latency because something's sitting in a queue, that gives you an indicator to start investigating at that point. Obviously, you're going to start looking at system metrics, application metrics, and logs and trying to figure out the root cause, but you know there's a behavioral change that tracing would actually pick up in that case. So I, I find tracing, and this is the way I talk about it a lot, is tracing helps us isolate where to look. And then we have to use the other observability signals to determine why something is happening in terms of how you would fix it, basically. Yep, agree. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm not going to lie. I, I, I thought you. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go, Go for it. Uh, so it sounds like, for the most part, Jonah and I are on the same page about a lot of things. Um, I wanted to circle back on the notion of audiences as well, right? Um, so devs are not the only audience. I'm sorry, but I'm not a big fan of this whole, you know, remember Steve Ballmer, developer, developer, developer. I'm sorry, developers might get paid something more than others. But and and I hope I don't I don't care if I alienate some people out there. I want you to understand I've been a developer since I was 13, and I worked enough jobs to understand that I don't know everything. But the experiences that I see, and now I get to work with lots of large teams at scale and work with lots of different people. So my sample set is rather high, and I I have started to transition to a worldview of listen first and talk second. So it's rare that you actually see me on a podcast like this. That's why I facilitate events right, to get other people's voices at the table. Um, but in terms of uh, the developer is not the only most important thing in the, the organization, right? Pager duty and Velocity said it well. Uh, many years ago, they said what looks like money is stuff that's running in production. That's what it looks like to the business. So if your code isn't in production, you're not making money. And who writes the code? It's developers. So I can see where that like almost 20 year plus, like, you know, almost uh, just uh, uh, infatuation with thinking that developers are the thing that makes us money. As it turns out, the whole organization, when when working properly and together, is what makes money. Okay, if 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 developers write something and nobody sells it, you don't make money, and they eventually are out of money. So startup nation, startup culture, all knows this, right? So with that in mind, who are the other audiences? And obviously starting from a technical space, moving from developer, I would also say an operation space, right? And to Jonah's point, it takes more than just the high cardinality emission metrics from a particular set of services. It takes other tools. But if we can, if we can kind of summarize and say it does help the, the, the ops people be able to scale this out to a far more regional place. Um, I work with, uh, I'm one of the community organizers around Boston DevOps and the DevOps Days Boston event. And so, uh, even last night, I was on with them doing open spaces in a virtual platform. And, you know, I really try to listen to that community. And in, at least in our Boston space, it's heavy sort of coming from sysops, having developer capabilities rather than a developer trying to be the ops. But it doesn't matter where you go. Like, the world is so blended that we all have to really understand that we affect each other. So number one, you know, a decision made by a developer in the code base does affect the operations for sure. Nobody would argue that. But when it's done in the way that, let's say, there's a standard spec and a standard API, right, then we can actually start to scale this out to multiple platforms. So you can pick and choose which platform you want to actually see what the more value propositions and the more value that a one platform versus another platform can provide. And there might be a case in, in a lot of my work with um, Fortune 100s, um, there's a lot of case where there's dozens of teams with different tool sets uh, via acquisition or via just the fact that, uh, you know, something in that organization allows for a certain degree of autonomy. Surprisingly enough, uh, that does happen in the large companies. Um, and so these teams come with various different APM tools, different um, tooling, some of that's purely open source. You know, they're just barfing things onto Grafana or Kibana. That's fine, right? But on the other hand, there need, it's not a single plane of glass that we're looking for. Um, I think there's something in there, and I haven't fully gotten to a perfect articulation of this, 
But it's not the single source of truth. There's multiple data sources, right? We need those things to harmonize together and that be non-questionably easy to get to for the right people, right? With the right security and IT controls in, in place to do their job, to understand when there's something wrong or if, if they want to estimate or capacity check, right? What, what's the current situation? But I also think that um, on the business side, moving past operations, you know, Jonah, I'm, I'm sure can speak better about that gap, um, but I certainly also see plenty of gap. It's a historical problem that the IT folks are doing things that don't directly map and relate to business value. So I think this is a, a key moment and a key technology and a key place in technology where we can literally move the bar forward in terms of business and IT talking to each other in meaningful ways, right? So that's, that's where I'll pause because I've been talking too much. No, that's, it's spot on. I mean, this is uh, the real reason why APN has been so successful is that it gives you the closest way to tie the business and IT together. And that's exactly the value that IT needs to portray in order to be that business partner versus saying, you know, I'm going to support your office applications and various back office applications and such. I mean, it's really about tying that frontline business and IT together. So I'm with you on that. Good point. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was a lot. Um, I am that's a lot from somebody like me who's still learning to take in crumbs. Right. Uh, let's, we've got some other questions to go through. Let's uh, go through those. Uh, this one I find quite interesting uh, because of the, well, because of the five month time frame that's left over for it. How is the core community, the maintainers gearing up and preparing for the GA? that they want to do before the end of this year, considering there's still a lot of specification work. And then there's a lot of uh, work to do with the collectors and getting everything into feature parity across all languages and all the means of transferring from say the agents through to the thrift protocol. What's your take on that? Who do you want to start? You know, let's start with you, Jonah. Start that way. Sure. So, uh, you know, obviously the initial goal uh, coming into the year was to have a standard for logs, traces, and metrics. And uh, metrics. And uh, the GA has been downscoped to cover only traces and metrics. The traces work because it came from a foundation of uh, open tracing and open census has actually, that's not, in my opinion, the more complex problem is in a pretty good state from what I've seen, uh, where it's considered ready for production use. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, it's basically good enough to done in terms of the GA. The metrics still, there's work to be done. The specification is completed, of course, but there's still other integration and testing work that needs to be done. Logging, unfortunately, is still at an earlier stage and seems to be moving rather slowly. 
Um, and it's kind of unfortunate because logging is the most unstructured Wild West of the three signals, of course, as we know, um, because it's been around for so long and there's been such a lack of standards. Uh, metrics, there's definitely been work and, and there's a recent discussion going on right now around the open metric product, which actually started before open telemetry to try to standardize data formats around Prometheus and some of the other technologies. And the real question is now, why do we have open metrics and open telemetry? And are these going to merge? Because the open telemetry specification is not the same as the open metric specification. So the confusion continues with metrics. Um, be curious to hear Paul's take on that overall and that specific uh, point too, because it's not clear to me uh, over the last few weeks. Sure. So, like I've alluded to before, I'm uh, I'm not the young side of my career. Uh, so, I'll use an example of uh, standards from automotive. Um, there used to be a time, and there still is a time, where if you want to get your car serviced, right? There's absolutely no like there's no standards. Let's imagine that we say there's no standards, and that means that the manufacturers can plug cars, they can build tools that are so proprietary that they can charge for their tools, which ups the price for the end consumer significantly, such that nobody can do anything without that manufacturer's uh, support. Arguably, we also hear that from Apple. <laughs> like the whole, the whole right to repair stuff is close to my heart as well. Um, but the, the, what happened was eventually uh, an, a standard called OBD uh, came out that allowed us to at least plug in a device there was a standard signal, there was a standard set of codes that would come through the signal, and you could plug in a device of your own choosing or building that would read, you know, a handful of most critical uh, signals. Uh, most of your problems were not covered by that code list or that standard. It was just a general check for the initial OBD. Then OBD2 came out, and there were more detailed metrics, but still, there is a ton of proprietary stuff that, that just isn't covered. And so standards, unfortunately, I work with a couple standards groups and I, everybody would know, standards are always behind what people are trying to do, right? Um, the question is, can we pull that behind us in such a way where it's meaningful for people who aren't as fancy and as needy and as forward-thinking as the most forward-thinking unicorns on the planet? Right, there are plenty of, like I said, enterprises that don't even that, that have done their homegrown strategies that essentially re result in, you know, re uh, redoing the W3C trace context spec, and now they have a place where they can go to say, this is a standard. Let's standardize on that. It's going to take X amount of months to really go that across our organization. We can leave certain things behind, but like we can move to a standard once there is a standard. Um, so. I, th I think what we see as a positive outcome is that there's plenty of people who want to move that forward. Um, I'm actually also uh, talking with some folks from the ONUG, uh, O-N-U-G, uh, Open Network User Groups, um, and they have the same idea about security codes from clouds. They're, you know, they're, they put their stake on SD-WAN uh, years ago, right, to, to push that standard. 
But now what we see in cloud and, uh, and, and security is that how do you know that the right IT controls are producing the right security signals um, across multiple clouds? And if you get very different codes from very different clouds, now you're managing maps of how, how do you generalize that into something meaningful. And they're, they're one of those groups that I have, you know, sort of uh, an eyeball on um, that's working on that kind of thing, but for security and specifically data formats around security information from clouds. Um, to back to the point of metrics, um, I'm st I've seen at least 20 years of people trying to dictate how specific formats should be, and there's reasons for that, that's fine. But what I find is that they're always behind what somebody tries to do. Um, I'm reminded though of the way that the open API spec um, moved from a model that didn't have the notions of vendor extensions. Same thing with my work with Selenium. Uh, Selenium, the, the web driver spec, um, now has these, this concept called default uh, desired capabilities that allow vendors to specify their own custom parameters, but within the guidelines of the spec, and that's good enough, right? Um, so whether it's the, we're talking about fidelity of that information, Jonah, right? Um, as long as there's a space that allows for the information to go through with enough of a general format for people to work out the next iteration of that, and that that community does iterate, in fact, right, and has the critical mass to iterate, fast enough, then it's not like waiting for a five-year-old standard to catch up. Yep, for sure. And there's definitely a lot of flexibility for custom attributes inside all of these standards, but it's more about trying to define what things mean, basically, so that when you're sending it to a particular uh, analytics platform, then you have some idea of what it actually Starfish so that's yep. kind of the important thing. Sorry, I was getting a call. <laughs> yep. One thing I'd like to say too, and if there's audience members who are uh, actively interested in this kind of thing, first off, um, you can ping me on Twitter, right? Paul S. Bruce um, and ask questions, but I'm probably not the one that's just gonna answer you directly, especially if it's deeply technical. But my, I, I feel like my responsibility, having known, having found, having sort of stumbled over this in whatever way we all do, um, you know, if, there, if there's trash on the curb, right, and it's my curb, I feel sort of a personal responsibility to, to pick it up even if somebody else dropped it there, right? That's a second, secondary problem. And this is not trash. This is the opposite. This is like a gold mine uh, of useful thinking and useful contribution and usefulness into organizations at every level. So I feel like it's almost my responsibility, having seen somebody's wallet or having seen gold nuggets on the side of the road, it's not just my responsibility to take and be like, yummy, just for me. I want to share that out. I want to be a good contributor in a way that it's not just code spec contributions, but it's contributions to the whole community. So with that in mind, you know, there are tons of different interesting use cases beyond developer rights, emission lines in their code or auto instrumenting for, you know, uh, legacy systems that operators don't have any source code control on. There's far more use cases. I, I'm a testing nerd as well. Uh, so I've been playing around with the idea of helping uh, the Selenium group um, 
use this for their Selenium grids. Uh, also, the idea that you know your tests when they run on a regular basis, that is very interesting early moment to emit useful information that you can look back and just go, wow, this thing was performing you know, two milliseconds slower every day because we're adding more and more use cases or because we're adding more and more data to the system, even if you're running that in small functionals. So um, Mike, you introduced me as uh, the guy at Neotis. That's just my day job. My night job is community organizer. And then, you know, I, I care about these independent things enough to do independent research. Um, and what I find is that we need to double out the use cases, right? It's nice to have a scope. It's nice to have the significant, more complex parts of this, having a ton of contribution. But I almost think further uh, as my role outside that is to help really understand the full, all the puzzle pieces on the table. What are all the possible use cases for this? And then to help people figure out which ones make the most sense to them. That's something I can contribute. So reach out to me if you have questions or if you want to talk about use cases in your organization, for sure. Okay. Um, I Well, I'm not sure how much time we have left. We've got about five, ten minutes. Um, if that's okay with you guys still? Yeah. Cool. Because there are some more questions. I, I, me personally, that we've written down that I'm very, very curious to find out about. So, um, what are your takes on the projects like Jaeger starting to replace their own adopted components with hotel standardized components? Uh, do you think that's a good move, or do you think that's just going to homogenize everything to the point of a lack of innovation? Jonah, go for it. Okay, sure. I'll chime in uh, just because I've been been involved there. Um, I the differentiation and the solution that Jaeger offers it doesn't make sense to have two collectors. And if the much of what was built in the Jaeger collector is uh, incorporated, there's only a couple things that have yet to be incorporated into the. Uh, open telemetry collector, it just makes sense to use that. Um, obviously, that collector can also export other data to different systems, makes it more pluggable and usable. So it uh, it completely makes sense. There's no downside to it. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's the direction of the project. Um, in the collector and open telemetry, of course, can take in data from open tracing. It can take in data from various other uh, input formats. So it makes it really flexible in terms of how you can interoperate the systems together. Now, that does make it more complex as well because it's not purpose built to do one thing. Uh, you can export to so many different formats with this one collector that it's um, not the easiest thing to deal with. And as we introduce more sophisticated ways to do sampling and other things like that, it's going to make it even more complicated. So um, that's the downside of it. But um, but no, I think it'll be good once uh, the project switches over entirely to using the hotel collector. Any opinions on that, Paul? Not really. Gotta be honest. Okay. Um, there okay. are some things that I just don't have time to be so close to that I'd rather not form an opinion about. 
Uh, I do like the people that were involved in the Jaeger, uh, the Jaeger project. So, you know, that, that's the other thing is that we build up trust. Um, not so much in a, um, in a meritocratic way, but just like any other relationship, um, trust takes time to build and it's informed by what people do. So, so the fact, the fact that um, Jaeger has been a significant uh, contribution to the, the broader community, um, and now they're, they're taking decisions to go that way as well, right, to replace some of their components, I think you just got to trust that the, the people that are, uh, have been doing a good job with Jaeger in what, what's involved in the open telemetry stuff, and they're, they're making an informed decision there. Ultimately, too, uh, there's the I know I, I remember you had a question about like how is this different from Vector. Um, again, I, I'll say I'm not a I have not tried Vector, so I'm not um, trying all the tools out just for fun. I don't have that kind of time. I got kids. However, um, I also think that if you only have one solution on the table, you have no choices, right? If your only route is one particular way of doing things, then that's um, you're not trying hard enough. It's kind of like if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. It's if you're not if you if you only have one option on the table, um, and certainly an option that's not informed by a decision process with clear decision criteria that span the technical and IT versus the business as well. Then you're not really doing a good job as the decision maker, right? The classic thing is Dev introduces a dependency nobody else knows about, and it causes downstream effects later. Well, also business people do that as well. Let's 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 have some golf uh, golf games with amongst VPs and CTOs and make a decision that the IT organization doesn't really uh, like, right? Those kind of things happen across. But I think that um, if you have multiple options and with stuff like this and stuff like my event and stuff like other events that will be going on, the more we can expose people to what are the available options, the better it is so that people can take and run with that, right? These things should evolve in slightly different ways. It's variety um, and perspectives that matter. Uh, so I think that open telemetry is going to dictate exactly what you do with the data. Um, but there's going to be a lot of exporters that will allow it to be very flexible. I would say that as the project matures and their performance is validated, which is a whole nother thing, because obviously Vector and FluentBit are both very compact, highly efficient, and, and both great throughput, it's yet to be determined the performance of open telemetry for various use cases. So imagine a year from now when we have an open telemetry collector that's forwarding logs, metrics, and traces. Is it going to have the same throughput as a collector that was just doing logs or just doing metrics or just doing traces? I don't know. These are the things that I think are going to potentially dictate the success of the project and whether there's going to be you know, specific point solutions that may still exist focused on a single type of data. Although Vector claims it can do various types of data, it's mostly a log, 
uh, analytics type use case in general. Um, well, so. that's good you bring it up. Performance is important to think about. Very important, especially for me. I'm a performance nerd. Uh, so good you bring that up, but I don't think, I, I think there are places where you try something out and there are woeful deficiencies in said product. And so that unfortunately puts you in a blocker moment where you have to take a business decision. Certainly that that's the case, but that's the case for all technologies. And yeah, you know, the, the more eyes, the more usage and the more eyes that are on the, the open telemetry stuff, um, the more we'll start to see that things like that will be iterated faster, right? Yeah, and we've seen already some specific uh, performance regressions in open telemetry, which had to be have had to be addressed and reassessed, especially when it's translating multiple formats. So if you think about it, like if I have a open tracing API going to an open telemetry collector that's being exported out to, let's say, a Jaeger backend, that performance is significantly worse right now because of the translation layers in there. So this yeah. kind of thing needs to be figured out and fixed because, you know, you start to mix and match all this stuff and the implications can be uh, pretty significant from a throughput perspective. Yeah, so. I mentioned um, the ONUG thing as well. And um, one of the things that they produce is essentially reference architectures for cloud and, and other types of things. I think um, the the notion of reference architectures, right? Um, or or uh, I hate the word best practices, no matter how, how many people think they know what they're talking about there. Um, but the, the standard set of practices that at least allow a baseline to say, I know nothing about this. Okay, I know something about this. Or here's what the uh, product team is expecting from set implementation, right? Um, oh, wow, I've done it totally wrong. Like I've, I've daisy chained 12 things together and that's where my performance is really starting to suffer. It, it's a journey, right, Jonah? It's like, you know, anybody can implement software wrong and what is wrong versus what is right is one thing. The other one is, you know, this is an open source project. So this information will be transparent right by default in the sense that once we start to hit these things there's going to be more uh emphasis on uh sharing the information about performance and what to do and what not to do and what to stay away from and what we're doing to fix it type of thing that'll be out in the open right um and as somebody who, who does work for a vendor of proprietary software as most of us do in some way shape or form uh and by the way if you're a dev in a fortune 500 and you don't think you ship proprietary software, most of the stuff you do is proprietary. Just try to share your stuff open source and see what happens. So we're all in the business of trying to figure out how to do something locally right, how to do something for our team right, and how to do something for our organization right. Um, and so I, I just see the open telemetry stuff as a very interesting opportunity to, uh, to get some of those value props that we talked about earlier um, and also be part of the how to do this better kind of moving forward. Probably Vector, you want to get on that? That's cool too, do that. But I encourage you to do that, like actively lean forward um, and figure out how to do that rather than just be a passive observer of technology. Because anybody can do that, but not everybody can really contribute and help to push something forward. 
Okay. That does lead me quite nicely into the last question I want to ask the pair of you, because uh, this is one that um, is, in reality, going to affect me during my day job as well. Not just um, what I've started to like about the community. What are you guys going to be focusing on next? Where are you uh, going to be focusing your uh, energy into growing both both the specification and the community around Hotel? So uh, with the closer we get to GA, the more we're going to have to face uh, getting adoption. So personally, I want to spend more time, um, how do I put it in the best way? making essentially dummies guides. So mom and pop shop developer houses with five guys who don't have any uh, dedicated DevOps resource can learn and implement this without having to go, oh my God, Gandalf needs to come in. Where are you guys going to be focusing? Do you want to start with that, Paul? Uh, sure. So I think um, prioritization is important, right? I, I would love to... to uh, spend further time making like 101 dummies type stuff because you know when you target the lowest common denominator at least it helps everybody getting started but there's plenty of people who read that and go okay cool moving next and if you don't have that next and I actually think that um, at this point in time um, this is not a dummies topic I'm sorry right like stuff that Jonah brought up right um, that's not dummies topics either Right. And so we're not we're not trying to target mom and pop shops of five necessarily. We're trying to put this through a crucible that includes the people that have enough skills to drive the significant work to figure this out internally with assistance from the community and as a community. Right. So, yeah, we've got the experts in the contribution pool. Um, but if we just open this up to a million, a million people asking for help uh, uh, over the weekend, we're going to kill the project. Right, that's not cool. So we got to prioritize and figure out who are the the first immediate targets. Kind of like, kind of like your alpha, beta, and and GA pre customers, right? You got to figure out who your customers are, and not just the the persona, right? Um, and th those use cases in sadly the agile um, terminology. But um, in terms of what are the sort of concentric rings of people who we know are going to be a nice balance between can do that themselves and can run with it themselves um, versus people who literally need to be walked through one line at a time. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Jaeger has taken some approaches in making things work out of the box as easy as possible, single binary, default flags, this type of thing to, to make it easier. Open telemetry is a bit more complicated, um, but as we build distributions of this stuff, because most of it's in Go, so you can't really distribute it until you compile it, uh, I think we can make things easier for people um, versus having to deal with all the complexity. Um, some of the things that we'll we'll talk about in the news coming up, Mike, I know are, are going to be interesting in terms of uh, making new technologies available to make this all easier because the tough problems that we talk about a lot are really vendor problems and they're things that vendors have to make easy for users. And when I say vendors, I don't just mean vendors selling solutions, but even open source projects 
need to make things easier. Today, when you look at the cloud native ecosystem and you look at that crazy eye chart that you can see on the CNCF website about all the projects, trying to figure out how to piece this stuff together is honestly impossible to keep up with. And I spend a lot of time trying to keep up with it. Some of the new projects coming on board, I can't even keep track of how many things do one particular function that we have like 10 projects for and five of them are in CNCF. It's really hard to keep track of it all. So I think the easier we can do to make things work out of the box, the more successful we'll be. Yeah, and in yeah, terms of personal yeah. stuff, um, I know that, like I said before, uh, I, I really care about the Selenium community. Um, there, there, that was the first time where I stepped back and I realized the true power of open source in the sense that, um, think about a world back in the 1990s where browsers were not, vendors of browsers were not held accountable for their proprietary bullcrap, right? And as we roll further uh, types of technologies, I mean like fingerprint authentication on mobiles, all those kind of bizarre and interesting technology um, uh, innovations, and we start to try to say, okay, well, how do teams test this stuff out? When it becomes critical chain to business and banking type of applications, these capabilities, um, you need to have uh, the, the test engineering ask the question, is this, how is this testable, right? The, and I use that as a hat, not as a person, right? Test engineering should be a mindset of developers as well as business leaders as well. But my point is, you know, Selenium was one of those first places where I, I realized without this, without this group, there is no really great standard for holding the browsers accountable to complying with minimum viable standards to, to make software testable if most software is now in the web, so to speak. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to be um, working on layering in open telemetry to the Selenium grid. Um, they don't know it yet because they haven't shipped Selenium 4 grid uh, in a way that I can do that yet, but they will and we will and we'll work on it together and hopefully just as a core contribution, people who care about running Selenium grid now have a way to show the health and also potentially automatically injecting just like auto automatic um, uh, the automatic uh, instrumentation on an app side, well, what about auto instrumentation from a test side, right? So I'm a test nerd, I wanna do that, I wanna do that for the community. And I think Hello, Paul. Think we may have lost Paul. Give it a second, just in case, because the internet is a fickle beast. Okay. Um, hopefully, whilst, uh, well, we'll give uh, a chance for Paul to come back. Um, is there anything you'd like to point out, Jonah, about the Open Telemetry, um, well, organization, the community, the uh, maintainers, anything you suggest as a just a practitioner that people should be taking notice of? No, I mean, I think we covered it pretty well. And uh, although Paul's not here, I appreciate him uh, 
you know, discussing with us and uh, providing his perspective. So, yeah, much appreciated. Mm, I did like how um, I'm the novice in the room and you two essentially, 70 to 80% of it were 100% on board with each other. It's nice to see that the community, uh, even though people are regionally, technology, business-wise, split, um, everybody has a consensus about where they want this specification and its supporting software to go. Yeah, for sure. Which is, uh, you know what? I think that's brilliant. Uh, okay, then. Uh, I think that's uh, that's that for our discussion, then. Um I've managed to get all the questions I wanted to ask. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be absorbing that ready for uh, some later talking points, maybe even um, completely steal some of it to make a talk. Um, so, uh, but I say thank you to Paul Bruce for uh, sharing his thoughts on open telemetry and its community. And uh, thank you very much to Jenna Cole for it as well. My pleasure. So, uh, if that's the case, I'm going to close this down to the world's smallest breaking news point. Uh, and then all of you can go about your merry business and enjoy your evening. So uh, thanks, uh, Jonah. We'll, I'll, I will see you later. <laughs> okay, then. So it is... The breaking news time, and by breaking news, I mean uh, three points uh, that uh, I actually raised and thought were interesting and uh, <laughs> massively on topic with the conversation that just happened. So the first one is the fact that uh, Contour and Porter have been accepted as incubating projects within uh, the CNCF. I had never thought about the CNCF as a... a essentially giant marketing tool to get people involved. Uh, that kind of fits. However, I'm not complaining because the more people and the more eyes you get on these projects, the longer they're going to live, the better they're going to grow. So uh, Contour, uh, as we can see here, is a high-performance ingress controller for Kubernetes uh, that provides a control plane for Envoy. Um it's a Linux Foundation piece of software first, I believe. Let's just open the link and double check that before I make any grand statements. Um, yes, recently accepted the cloud uh, as a incubating project, and yes, it is. It's a Linux Foundation piece of software, which means it's had some funding and to uh, help grow it. And it's—I don't even know what version it's on right now. I've got this. Oops. 1.61. So it is already at a point where people can actively get involved and consume it. Uh, Porter is a uh, the load balancer developed for bare metal at Kubernetes clusters. So if you're not using EKS or AKS, uh, this is a load balancer designed specifically to work with Kubernetes clusters that you grow yourself. Um, it, this does make me uh, believe that the CNCS focus on... Uh, Kubernetes stuff is very strong, um, very, very strong, but I'm pretty sure we all guessed that. Um, and another piece, uh, I don't have a screen for this because, uh, weirdly enough, it's not an active actual piece of news. Um, pieces of news usually imply that somebody's done something. In this case, it was a decision to not do something, which means it's not being written down. Um, 
as Jonah alluded to earlier, the log specification for open telemetry um, has been going slowly. So they have decided to not include that in the GA release. What this means is open telemetry, when it finally goes GA and becomes something that we can all start plugging directly into our production systems and feel safe, it won't be all three uh, layer, well, pillars of the uh, observability principle. We won't have logging metric uh, performance information and traces. We will only have a metric and tracing data. Now, these uh, that's good enough to begin with, in uh, all honesty, because most of tools are already doing logging. So it means if you're trying to bolt on tracing as a new thing, in you are getting value add without losing anything you already got. Uh, so that's that's quite important. And the last one, which is one that um, is both amazing and a little shocking to me, is this. It is New Relic has open sourced their agents. So New Relic, the big incumbent, the one of the top tier operations tooling products around uh, has open sourced, and we can see here around the open telemetry project, it's agents. Um, this is not the only uh, vendor to have done this. Datadog has done this a while ago as well. I believe uh, there's a large chunk of uh, Datadog code in things like open sensors and open tracing agents. Um, don't hold me to that. That's me pulling it out of thin air, I'm pretty sure. But yes, so in my mind, that's a great thing because it means that they are more engaged in pushing and growing this community. It's not so much land grab, me, me, me. It is very much making sure this community is strong and will carry on growing regardless of the vendors because if the vendors are willing to put that effort in, it is a great sign. So those are the three slash four uh, pieces of news I had picked out. Uh, I will make a better effort next time. Let's see if I can get to a full 100 news pieces or something, which nobody wants to listen to that. So I probably won't, but you never know. Um, and uh, yeah, so... Just to wrap things up, if you want to find all the details, you can go to openobservability.io, and that's where the the home of this stream and podcast will be. So if you want to find out anything else, you can from there. You can also follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash openobservability. Our Twitter at twitter.com slash openobserve, which means open and O-B-S-E-R-V. And um, if you have any uh, topics you'd like to raise or conversations you'd like to have or talks you'd like to give on this stream and podcast, please feel free to go to the uh, Open Observability website and submit to the form there. Uh, those of you who are watching the stream or the YouTube of this can see the link at the bottom of the screen right now. So uh, thank you very much for sticking with us and listening to this. Um, I have been Mike Ellsmore. I work as a developer advocate at Logs.io, and it has been my absolute pleasure to host you. So everybody have a good morning, afternoon, and evening, and we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>